Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. We are we are coming to you from a laundromat near you. Located somewhere in Lubbock, Texas. And if you can find that on the map, you're doing pretty good. No, in all seriousness, uh, Randy is in a remote place today. He's on the way to a college football game, which will be a blast, I'm sure. But you'll hear throughout this interview a little bit lower quality, or if we say it differently, more interesting quality background sound from his side. But regardless, your intrepid hosts of the Thought Wait, Leader what? podcast. Intrepid? Intrepid. Yeah, we, we are going to host a podcast regardless of all the difficulties associated with the sound qualities. I see. We're brave. We're brave. <laughs> I didn't say tepid, I said intrepid. <laughs> Tepid, that's even worse. Maybe we're tepid. Oh my goodness. Well, actually, that's really interesting. So tepid makes me remind of older white men. How about you? Yeah. Wow. Being an older white man, I resemble that remark. All right. So we're talking to someone today who brought up old white men, and we we got into it just a little bit, which was fun because we're a couple of old white, well, I'm getting older white guys. And so this is Robin O'Brien. She's she's done some amazing things. She's got a company called Replant right now. And she's worth, you know, checking out her book and her ideas and thoughts and all of that. And today she she didn't mince words. She said some pretty remarkable things one after the other, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So I think open minds, open hearts, willingness to embrace at least the opportunity to hear of new ideas is key to getting the most out of this interview. So open your mind, open your hearts, open your ears, hear what is truly being said. And here's the interview with, um, <laughs> I forgot her name. Here's the interview <laughs> with Robin O'Brien. And, and, and by the way, and by the way, she's gonna give us all the dirt. Here we go. Hi, Robin. So great to see you. I, I have to say, um, I, I want to call you a, a pillar, a pillar of business and an impact just because you're sitting next to a pillar, I think. Oh, I don't know. I've got a bookshelf behind me full of pictures of my family and different books that have inspired me over the years. So maybe focus on that. It's true. I'll, I'll focus on that instead. So tell us about that. Give us give us kind of a rundown of a few of those uh, amazing pieces behind you. Well, I'm very fortunate to have a mother from New Zealand. So I grew up with a lens on the world that was very global. I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And that sort of tension between New Zealand and Texas was an interesting way to be raised. And we grew up in a big family um, I'm the oldest of four kids, huge family, huge extended family, and we're all very close. And love is so much a part of my work, as corny as that sounds. It's been a very guiding force through so much that has been incredibly turbulent and challenging. And so I really do sort of lean into family a lot on this journey. So New Zealand and Texas, well, I like the, they're both rebel kind of places. Now that we have, we have a, a great client in New Zealand, I'm I'm realizing how sort of badass New Zealanders are. Oh, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I know. So my mom, 
I know. And there is, there's a bit of renegade in both for sure. It's funny you pick up on that. And our mascot in high school was actually the rebels. So that is definitely like part of my DNA. My dad was in the U.S. Army in Vietnam, and my mother was a nurse with Save the Children in Vietnam, which is where they met. And so, you know, I think so much oh, of these word. threads of, of courage and love and, and patriotism, um, it's very innate in me. So, okay, so let's start there. So that that's interesting. So I have two pacifist parents um, who, you know, loved listening to Joan Baez and Pete Seeger and all that stuff, which is lovely. It's wonderful having parents who one was a soldier and one was saving people mm-hmm. literally by the title how did that happen and how did that sort of internalize itself through you i think it's you know i didn't really think about it a lot as a kid but as i got older i realized you know dad was in there with the army and it was a destructive force and the mom was in there with saved children literally picking up the pieces that had been shattered by this devastation. And I think the capacity to hold all of that, to understand all of that, to understand what the motive was in all of that, provided a lot of insight. And so much of the work that I do is contingent on the insight that we have in human nature, um, the way that we operate, what motivates us, what our incentives are. I think in both cases, for both of my parents, they were absolutely motivated by love. My dad is one of the most patriotic people that you could meet. And so to understand for him, it was coming from this very deep love of country. And then with my mom, it was coming from this very deep love of children. And so, um, you know, that was the unifying force that they saw in each other. They're both incredibly passionate people, incredibly intelligent. And as you can imagine, have gone head to head on different things, but when they're aligned together, I mean, they're just completely unstoppable. So I'm very grateful for that foundation. So. Texas and New Zealand are also really big on the earth, the soil, the idea of salt of the earth, like, you know, real, you know, gritty people. I'm a red dirt, you know, whatever. I'm a, in New Zealand, it's that same thing. Your work has to do with earth, with dirt, with literally put your hands in the soil and get dirty, have your kid eat a handful, right? And at the same time, this sort of glam, you know, helicopter posh uh, house you know type finance world and the space where those two things meet i'm really interested to to hear from you how you reconcile those two things kind of in your daily work yeah that's a great question you know so i went to business school at rice on a full scholarship and i graduated as the top woman in my class you know when i came out I was being recruited by the oil and gas companies. Everything was on fire, Enron and Exxon, you know, just big, big blazing companies at that point. It held no interest to me. And I went into the investment world because I tend to get bored easily and I love the dynamics of investing. You know, you could cover all these different sectors and all these different industries and meet all these different management teams. And it was absolutely amazing to do that early in my career. And I saw the finance world and it was interesting. You know, I saw sort of the jockeying, I saw the competitiveness. I saw the betting, you know, it was an incredible education from the inside. And then when we had our four children and my youngest child got sick, all of a sudden, you know, I'm sort of turning back on this food industry to analyze it as I had when I had been on the desk as an investor and really was asking these very pointed questions that I had learned on the desk as an investor. And what was fascinating was that there were different companies in the industry that really did not want me talking at all. And so, you know, the further I got into it, the more I was understanding sort of the double standard in the U.S. in the U.S. food industry 
And people kept talking about the soil, you know, but as somebody who'd been born and raised in Houston, I mean, I wasn't really, that to me was sort of like a Berkeley, California thing. And the more knowledgeable I became, the more I understood how foundational that was. And when you really look at the opportunity to fix our food system, you cannot do that unless you also talk about the financial system. We have an enormously extractive food system from the processed food that's full of artificial ingredients that's cheaper to produce to the way we treat our soil and the farms and the land. We have that extractive system because of the extractive financial system. And so it was the understanding of both and that nexus of both that proved to be the point that I really came in on and said, this is actually the problem. If we're going to talk about the food system, that's just the symptom of this much bigger problem of this extractive mindset that we've accepted as the norm. And is there an opportunity to look at that differently? The finance industry has, or the investment community is probably a better way of saying it, is all the time pushing for increased returns, better profits, whether that be because you've got teachers with a 401k who have money invested in different things, or whether that be the greed of the investors themselves, the, um, the VCs, the capital providers. How do you balance the requirement for financial returns with the need for uh, regenerative farming and safe food supplies? Because the reason it changed was financial pressure. As, as farms became bigger and needed external investment, etc., etc., financial pressures to generate the returns are what caused the food to find cheaper and the food industry to find cheaper and possibly less healthy ways to do it. So how do you, how do you balance that dichotomy, that apparent difference? So I think the problem we've got in our financial system is it's completely homogenous. It's 98% white and primarily male. And when you lack diversity and when you lack that kind of equity, you, you, you have a system that will fail. And so by having that homogenous mindset, it failed to identify these other factors that were foundational to the success of the food industry. You can't grow food without healthy soil. And so to have the mindset that all that mattered was return on capital rather than thinking about what's actually the return on, you know, think about something like, you know, how can you look at these ecological metrics and these ecological impacts and the benefits here? And I think that's the opportunity. And if 80, 80 to 85% of household purchases are governed by women and you've got a financial industry that's governed by men, that tension just flat out doesn't work here. And so, you know, we now have where 80 to 85% of us are buying something organic every, you know, every single day. It's in our houses and maybe not everything in your fridge and probably not close to half of anything in your fridge. But for 80 to 85% of us, there is something in our kitchen that is now organic. And 75% of all grocery store categories now carry something organic. And yet only 1% of U.S. farmland is organic. That's not just the financial industry. That's a lot of lobbying pressure from the agrochemical giants. And again, you look at the profiles of those companies and guess what? It's pretty homogenous white male. And so, you know, again, to step back and say, if we're going to talk about how we're going to heal these systems, diversity is foundational to that. And when we talk about farming and food systems, the agrochemical model that was embraced was completely contingent on debt. So U.S. farmers got strapped into over $426 billion of debt directly benefiting the financial industry. 
the farmers that didn't have access to that debt and didn't have access to those loans because of this discriminatory lending nature were the farmers of color. So rightfully, farmers of color are kind of annoyed because they're like, we don't need to call it regenerative. This is the only kind of farming we've ever done. And thank goodness they have that knowledge. So again, it's you got to step back and you got to sort of look at the macro and what's happened here and the control of the, the purse strings that has been governed by these men who really aren't responsible for these household decisions. So you have people who don't know what they don't know governing a system that is absolutely failing. Really interesting. And I think in, in general... I know so little about economics, but I'm going to dive in here for a second. <laughs> for me, fundamental is like, where's the actual money? Where's the sustainable money? And there's so many factors there. It's like, oh, okay. Why were we not taking farmers of color into account? There's money to be made there. That's great. So can money be made on the backs of sustainability and everybody earning a little bit? So what's, what does the future look like and how are you working towards that? Yeah, I think that, that that's a great question. And I think, you know, the food industry on a, you know, on a quarterly earnings model, it's incredibly tough. And there have been companies like Haynes Celestial that for a year just didn't report earnings. There have been movements to sort of step away from the quarterly earnings model and say, could we report this on an annual model? Can we think about a different model? Again, We've accepted all of these things as the norm, but there's the opportunity to say, is that actually beneficial to the 21st century consumer and the 21st century corporation as the SEC starts to introduce different regulatory pieces around environmental you know, regulations and things like that. So it's really to stop and say, should the food, or should the food industry be on a quarterly earnings model? Um, and is that the right capital to be governing these companies? And what was interesting was about five or six years ago, I was giving back-to-back keynotes to Nestle and General Mills. And I just said, you know, Wall Street's got you guys by the neck. You're dancing to these quarterly earning, earnings models and you cannot transition your farmland, which takes three to five years. That timeline tension makes it impossible to do. You need an alternative source of capital. And all of these heads leaned in and they said, Robin, where is it? And at that point, we were developing replant, we hadn't yet come public with it. And what we found is that if you can tap philanthropic capital, high net worth capital and deploy it into these food systems to transition this farmland, there's a patient capital there that understands that the returns are three to five years out. And it's not just the return on capital, you're building soil health, you're building nutrient density, uh, density the ability for soil to store carbon the ability for soil to hold water. So those types of metrics are way more interesting for someone to be talking about who's a high net worth individual than just their standard return on capital. So you're saying that billionaires might not have to keep taking rides into space, like mapping out their future homes? You know, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in that for sure. And not surprisingly for the soil fund, we see a lot of women coming into this who really understand what is happening and that the future of our children is contingent on us taking action now, not not actually, you know, flying into space, but taking action here now. So So talk about women women investors and women philanthropists, because I mean Mackenzie Bezos is all I need to say, right? Like people saying, you know what, I really want to do something with all this money now. Yeah, I mean, Mackenzie Scott is absolutely somebody that I hold up as sort of a North Star who is demonstrative of the kind of generosity and um, philanthropy that we really, 
you know, can, can benefit from. And I think you think about there's some philanthropists that are sort of philanthropic capitalists and they're really, you know, they, they have money in a donor advised fund and all they care about is hitting the S&P 500 returns in that donor advised fund. And then you've got somebody like Mackenzie that truly wants to put that money into work and into action to transition and transform these different systems. That is remarkable leadership. And, you know, the status quo is slightly annoyed because she's doing it quickly and fast and she's not going through the typical, you know, labor intensive processes of building a foundation, staffing it up, and you've got all this overhead. She just wants to get it out the door. And the way that Amazon share price continues to kind of hit the stratosphere over and over and over again. She can't get rid of it quickly enough. And I think, you know, this opportunity for her to deploy capital into regenerative agriculture, into transitioning U.S. farmland to regenerative and organic agriculture is an enormous opportunity, not just for the products that we're pulling out of the soil, which are going to be free from toxic pesticides, genetically engineered ingredients, and all kinds of crazy crap that we don't want to be feeding our families, but she's also going to be telling the story of how, you know, she alone could be transitioning this farmland to build soil health to draw down carbon. And that climate story, that intersection of healthy food and healthy climate is such a powerful one. So I, I want to jump in and, and just question a couple of things here. I'm an old white guy. I am totally capable of understanding regenerative farming. So I, I find it interesting that you're you're talking predominantly about women and not about education, number one. And the second thing, Mackenzie would not have the wealth she has were it not for a system that provided capital that is in, within that broken capital system you've been talking about. So how do we, how do we move the needle? Oh, and the third element of what's, what's driving me insane right now if everybody turned to regenerative farming and the returns are not viable for three to five years, how do we feed the country in the meantime? Yeah, those are all great questions. So I think I'll start with the one which was, you know, you're only talking about women and not education. I think as mothers, things are very intuitive to women. You know, as, as we have literally, women are responsible for putting absolutely every person on the planet. So there's a power there and there's an understanding there of what we had to do to do that. And I think that intuition that is coming through women on these issues is incredibly powerful. Absolutely, there is also education. A huge part of my work over the last 15 years has been education through, through books that I've written, through talks that I've given. And we see that very much as our responsibility at Replant to also educate. I think, you know, yes, these systems that we have inherited are broken and they have created extraordinary wealth. What she is doing is saying, yes, I benefited from this enormously broken system and I'm going to break the model again and I'm going to deploy this out in a way that expedites, you know, getting capital into the hands of people. And I think, you know, those really, the, the opportunity is to really, to really sit down and say, you know, where can we disrupt in a very creative and positive way? It's really easy to sort of say this is catastrophically terrible. And, you know, it's not like wagging the finger at the white male, but that is the fact of what the financial industry actually is, is that it is 98% white and male. And so, you know, when you step back and you say, you know, is that representative of this collective? It's not at all. It's one thread and we are much stronger as a fabric that pulls all these threads together. I love the <laughs> wagging the finger at the white male. I think that that's a cool way of saying that as another white man who is aging, I, you know, I will be old. <laughs> Maybe I am already, but 
I'm with you, right? So I, I think, you know, I think this is where we all are on this this strange three-dimensional spectrum of things we believe and things we hold dear. But one thing that that I see is that, you know, kind of like I think Obama said on his way out, he's 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 like, man, if if women ruled the world, you know, we wouldn't have a lot of this shit. You know, so it's it's there's a I don't think he said it that way, <laughs> but something like that. And I think it's really interesting what you're doing and you're starting with the soil, with the food we eat, with the farmers who need extra support, but they're doing it because they love the freaking soil, right? And women who love to feed their children good food. And so you're, you're doing cool work. So to kind of wrap us up, who are you hoping to connect with outside of Mackenzie, if she's listening? <laughs> but who are you who you're looking to connect with? Where can they find you? And where can people read more about your ideas and so on? You know, I think um, we are really interested in connecting with anyone who is collaborative and creative and willing to explore change. We don't pretend to have all of the answers, but we know that we need to get to work on finding the solutions here. You know, I often will say what we do to the soil, we do to our children. And the question of how you feed the world, you can't feed the world with bankrupt farmers. And we have now a generation of farmers and farming families where the younger generation doesn't want to step into this. So how do you find food security if there's not financial security for the growers? So for me, you know, I love hearing from the farmers. It has informed so much of my work over the last 15 years, and I am so grateful for those conversations. So I would ask, you know, if there are any, you know, and, and you'll be surprised in your listening audience how many people are connected to farming families um, more than you might actually realize. Mackenzie Scott, absolutely. I mean, to manifest that meeting is something that I think about every day. Um, Lorraine Powell Jobs is another one that is doing remarkable work. And there really are extraordinary people who, you know, are really giving everything that they are. But we've inherited an enormous problem. And my way of looking at that is to flip the script and say it's also an enormous opportunity. So the invitation is wide open to all who want to come in and collaborate and drive that change. Yeah. And just to speak on that last point, one of my closest friends in the world, basically a brother from a different mother. I hate that phrase, but I just used it. So there we go. He is an organic farmer and he spends his whole life, you know, 18 hours a day working for the farm share. I mean, later today, I'm going to sit down and play some music with him. I stare at the screen for 18 hours. He's in the fields for 18 hours. But one of my biggest things, and Randy and I have had many conversations about about this, that business is business. So let's find the solutions that make everyday businesses that are the most important, more healthy. So thank you for the work you're doing, Robin. And yeah, I, I'm, I hope you have a lot of success. And if, if I run into Mackenzie anywhere, I will, I will <laughs> try to turn her ear. Thank you. It's great to meet you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you, Robin. I got so carried away at the start of, of this interview that um, your name slipped my mind, and that is truly evidence that I am an old white guy. <laughs> so, all kidding aside, like, this was a great, great conversation. I think it's rare in life that you get to really think to the core of things. I think there's several moments in this interview that we got there. And I, you know, for me, I. I always like what I say best. No, I'm kidding. Well, sort of. 
But anyway, I said something about how do you connect the dirt with this sort of glam, fancy finance stuff? And I thought I thought she she definitely helped us get into that into that mindset and that that world. And um, speaking about dirt, um, Randy. Well, I always like what you say best as well. Oh, except for except for what our guests <laughs> say, they usually say something far more interesting, far more important. And I think if we, um, as we look back at the interview we just had with with Robin, we will we will see that she had things that were important to say. Now, if you're listening to this and you want to know what is important to say, maybe you want to go to thoughtpartnergroup.com, fill out the assessment. And we'll tell you some stuff that is really important that you need to think about. Like what? Like how visible you are and how your strategy may suck. <laughs> that's, that's some hard truth. <laughs> that's some hard truth for you. And if you're feeling a little nuts, you can go to crazymba.com where we've got a little bit of trouble brewing. Yeah, so I think um, you know, after my comment, you should go to crazymba and find out what strategy doesn't suck. All right. Take care, everybody. Let us know what you think. <laughs>